Okay. Give honor to God and all his lovely saints. Thanking God for the word of God. Thanking God for prayer. Thanking God for the awesome, his awesomeness. Thanking God for all he's done, all he's going to do. I had some problems with the line, so some people got disconnected. And um, we're moving forward. And if they call back, they call back. I would like to just pray on pray for uh, for targeted individuals, for God to give them the patience and understanding and the thirst and yearning to get spiritual knowledge of understanding spiritual warfare. So with that being said, I'm going to read a little bit about understanding how to act on God's word. Fight the good fight of faith, First Timothy 6.12. The only fight that Christian people are called, God's people are called upon to fight is the faith fight. If we are in any other kind of fight, we're in the wrong fight. We need to get out of the wrong fight and get into the right one. Some Christians say, I'm gonna fight the devil. There's no need to do that. Jesus already defeated him. You wouldn't be any match for him anyway because Jesus has already defeated Satan for you. There is no use for you to fight the devil. Some say I'm gonna fight sin. There's no need to do that either because Jesus has a cure for sin. The cure for sin is Jesus, praise God. Jesus put away sin by the sacrifice of himself according to Hebrews 9.26. So there really isn't a sin problem. Is just a sinner problem. And when you get the sinner to Jesus, Jesus cures that. There are enemies in this fight of faith, which we are instructed to fight. If there were no enemies or hindrances to faith, there would be no fight to it. Hindrances to faith. If you're a targeted individual, this is a faith fight. The purpose of this six satanic program is to try to make you lean on yourself. You can't lean on yourself when you're fighting demons. Well, not fighting demons, demons are coming after you. You have to go to a higher power, and that is the creator of all, the most high God. Hindrances to faith. We have seen that hindrances to faith exist because of a lack of knowledge of God's word. Romans 10, 17 states, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. People often pray for faith, saying what I need, let me get this in better, easier to read with, saying what I need is faith. But actually what they need is knowledge of God's word. When the knowledge of God's word comes, faith automatically comes. You can pray for faith forever, but if you didn't get any knowledge of God's word, you would never get faith. This is because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you could get faith in any other way, this scripture would be a lie. And if there's even one scripture in the Bible that is a lie, then the whole Bible is a lie. But I'm glad that the Bible is true, all true. 
you can see that the greatest hindrance to faith is a lack of understanding of the word of God. The hindrance we will discuss in this chapter is one which holds many in bondage. Our faith is held in bondage because we lack understanding of how to act on God's word. Trying to believe. You see some of God's people, they try to believe and it's such a struggle for them. They say they're trying to have faith or they're trying to believe. All that is necessary, however, is to act on what God says in his word. If we know the word of God is true and we act on it, then it becomes a reality in our lives. <clears throat> Excuse me. Real faith is a product of the knowledge of the word of God. It takes no effort whatsoever on the part of the intellect or the will of man to obtain faith. As soon as the light of God comes, as soon as the light of God's word comes, faith is there. Faith is the commitment of knowledge. That is, faith accompanies knowledge. Knowledge of God's word comes first, then faith automatically accompanies it. As the Psalms is old, old said, the entrance of thy word gives, giveth light, Psalms 119, 130. As soon as the light of God's word comes, faith is there. So feed on God's word, meditate on God's word. Feeding and meditating on God's word will bring the light and it will bring faith because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I use the phrase acting on God's word rather than the terms have faith or believe, because that is what faith actually is. Faith is simply acting on God's word. Someone asked a minister, a man mightily used of God in years gone by in the healing ministry. What is faith? His reply was, faith is just acting on God's word. And that's all it is. He would say faith is an act. Faith is an act. That's what faith is. Faith is acting on God's word. Faith is acting like God's word is true. God's word, this is my interjection. God's word says that God is the God of impossible. The God is the God of miracles. If you're a targeted individual, you have to stand on God's word. He's the God of the impossible. Things that look impossible, God can make possible. He's a God of miracles. No demon from the pit of hell can have more power than God. We have to study our Bible, look for faith scriptures, look for scriptures to build up our faith. Mental ascent, ascent. Many times we unknowingly make a substitution for faith. We substitute mental assent or mental agreement for faith. For instance, we mentally agree that God's word is true and we think we're believing and that we are in faith, but we're not. You can mentally agree or mentally, you can mentally agree all day long that the Bible is true, but the word does not become real to you until you act on it. It is only when you act on God's word for yourself that it becomes a reality to you. And it is only when you act on God's word that you are exercising faith. For example, you can hold to the resurrection truth. 
as a great doctrine. And in some circle, that's about all it is, a doctrine or dogma. But it will not mean a thing to you until you can believe in your heart and say with your mouth, Jesus died for me. Jesus was raised from the dead for me. Jesus arose victorious over death, hell, and the, and the grave. And he did it all for me. Praise God forevermore. Jesus arose victorious over Satan. Jesus arose a victor. Jesus conquered Satan for me, and therefore Satan has no dominion over me. I am free, praise God, I'm free. Satan has no dominion over me, I am free. It is when you believe it in your heart and confess it with your mouth, that is when the resurrection of truth in the word of God becomes something more than just a doctrine, more than just dogma, more than just a creed, more than just a theory, it becomes a reality to you. The word of God won't mean a thing to you until you can say these biblical truths with your mouth and believe them in your heart. Remember, the people who get answers from God are those who act on his word. Act like the Bible is true. I passed it almost 12 years. I'm reading Understanding How to Fight the Good Fight of Faith, Kenneth Hagen, one of my mother's books. I passed it almost 12 years and I found that in church you have the same type of problems that you have in family, in a family, because the church is made up of families. In families, financial and discipline problems arise. In the church, you also have financial problems and discipline problems. In the church, you have all the problems you have to have wherever people are involved. During those 12 years of pastoral work, we face the same problems you do in your homes and families. The cries of life come to us all. If it's not, this is my interjection, if it's not the TI pro program, it'll be something else. Okay. Um, all right, if it's not the cries of life, it'll be something else. The cries, when the cries of life Crisis. When the crisis of life come, you do not know how to act on God's word. You are at a disadvantage. In other words, when this TI program, talking to individual program, when they blacklist you, when they discredit you, slander you, or try to inflict your body with sickness, inject you, give you cancer, whatever. If you don't know God, you're at a disadvantage. In one church, he says, he pastored. As they were discussing church problems, the board of deacons said to the minister, what are we going to do now? I just smiled and said, we're just going to act like the Bible is true. Yes, just act like the Bible's true. And you know, just by my saying those words, the deacon board sighed, had a sigh of relief because they knew the Bible is true. If you know God's word is true and you act like it is true, the Bible will become real in your life. You will bring God on the scene in your life. In families, different troublesome issues arise. And sometimes among relatives, difficult problems arise also. I'm not talking about an immediate, my immediate family because we taught our children to act upon God's word 
and they did. Sometimes the problems and circumstances which arise in a church seem difficult too, and sometimes God's people and even spirit-filled Christians seem to be overwhelmed by these problems. They would say to me, what are we gonna do now? I would smile and say, I don't know what you're going to do, but I'll tell you that I'm, what I'm going to do. I'm going to act like the Bible is true. I remember one particular occasion along this line, which occurred just after my oldest brother had gotten saved. He had gotten saved because I had acted on God's word, broken the power of the devil over his life and claimed his salvation. He was only a few weeks old in the Lord when this incident took place. I took care of my mother's business affairs for her. And although I needed, I really needed to attend to something for her, I was unable to because I was in a revival in Dallas with two services a day. My brother Dub said he wanted to see our grandfather anyway, who was 90 years old and about ready to pass over to the other side. So Dub said he would go see the relatives and take care of this matter for me. Taking care, okay, taking care of this business involved dealing with some difficult relatives. When my brother Dub returned after visiting them, he said, boy, I'll tell you, I just about got whipped. One of the relatives had gotten rough with him. My brother continued, I told this relative, if you know God or have any knowledge of God, you better thank him. I'm not like I used to be, or I would have whipped you already. My brother said to this relative, I'm saved now and I've quit fighting. I'm not going to fight you, but if you get on me, I'm going to get you off me. And you better just pray you don't get hurt if I have to get you off me. Well, this relative didn't fight Dub, but he did give him a good cussing out. Putting the Lord to work for you, I said to my brother Dub, I'll go there and finish taking care of this matter. Your trouble is you're just a new Christian. You don't know how to put the Lord to work for you. Through the years, I've had the greatest time in the world putting the Lord to work for me, just letting him and his word do the work. There's a scripture which says the battle is the Lord's, 1 Samuel 17, 47. I let God fight all my battles. I don't fight any. The battle is the Lord's, but the victory is ours. Second Chronicles 2015 says, be not afraid nor dismayed, for the battle is not yours, but God's. When I put God's word to work for me, the word fights my battle for me. So I've never been in a battle and I've been saved more than 50 years. Since I learned about faith and that the Bible and what the Bible says, for we which have believed do enter into rest, Hebrews 4.3. I've been in a state of rest. Grasp what this scripture says. We which have believed do enter into rest. Notice it does not say, we have entered into a state of fear or into a state of fretting, gripping, worrying, or fighting. No, it says we've entered into rest, walking in victory. For more than 50 years, I've been in a state of rest. I haven't had any battles. I have simply put God's word to work for me. 
some people battle themselves to death. They're always in some kind of battle. How does how goes the battle, Samax? I always answer. The victory is wonderful. Hallelujah. There isn't any battle. I'm enjoying the victory. Faith always has a good report. Back again to what I was saying to my brother Dove. I told him, you just don't know how to put the Lord to work for you. You see, the Bible says in 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Now, Dub, I'm going to act like that scripture is true. I want to show you how to practice the word, how to put the word to work for you. I continued. When the Bible says that greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world, the he that's in you is God, the Holy Spirit. And he that's in the world is the devil himself, who is the God of this world. Second Corinthians 4, 4 calls him the God of this world. I believe that the God who is in me is bigger than the devil. Do you believe that? I believe that the Holy Spirit who is in me is greater than the devil who is in the world, just as the word of God says. To get the full impact of this truth, let's look at the following verses in 1 John. 1 John 4, verses 1 to 4. Beloved, beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And that is the spirit of the Antichrist, whereas ye have heard that it should come. And even now already it is in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Remember, the battle has been won. In the first three verses, John's talking about evil spirits and demons. said, ye have overcome them. Notice that he did not say that you're going to overcome these evil spirits and demons. He said that you have overcome them. In other words, the victory over evil spirits, demons, and every power that is in this world has already been accomplished for you. The battle has already been fought, and the battle has already been won. You don't have to fight the battle because the battle has already been won. Then John qualifies this statement that the believer has overcome every demon and every evil spirit. These scriptures tell us exactly how it is that the believer has overcome them. It is because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ is dwelling in you. Jesus has already defeated all demons and all evil spirits. Everything Jesus did, he did as your substitute. Everything Jesus did is marked down by God to your credit. Let that soak in. Can you understand that? That's the way God looks at Jesus's victory. And really, that's the way the devil looks at it too. Satan knows that you have overcome him through Jesus' victory. But as long as you don't know it, he takes advantage of you, the greater one. So I said to Dub, 
Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. The God who is in me, the Jesus who is in me, the spirit of God who is in me is greater than the spirit of the devil who is in those relatives. Because the love of God has been shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit, Romans 5, 5. The love that is in me is greater than the hate that is in them. Here was my grandfather, 90 years old, and about to pass. And some of the relatives were already fussing about who was going to get what. Unsaved people will do that because they're selfish. I decided just to leave after my morning service and drive the 30 miles from Dallas to attend this family business myself. Before I left, Mama said, son, don't get into any trouble. I'm not concerned about getting anything. I'm only concerned about him, my grandfather, her father, and this, and about his comfort. Don't get into it with the relatives and get into trouble. Mama said, I'm not going to have any trouble. Well, she said, so-and-so almost whipped Dub. I'm not Dub, and they're not about to whip me. The God who is in me is bigger than the devil who is in them. I said, I won't have any trouble. I'll never have any trouble. When I arrived, I parked my car in my grandfather's driveway. The man who had cussed caused so much trouble with Dub lived next door. But when his wife saw my car, she called me over to the park bench. Oh boy. Computer went a little out. Make sure. Okay. What does this say? Live streaming. Okay. When I arrived, I parked my car in my grandfather's driveway. The man who had caused so much trouble with Dub lived next door. When his wife saw my car, she called me over to the back porch. Then she began, I'll tell you, Ken. I'll tell you, and the more she talked, the more she ranted and raved. And you know, I felt so sorry for her. A child of the devil. I thought, I thought, dear Lord. I thought, dear Lord, dear Lord, here is this poor old soul. She can't help but have the nature of the devil in her because she's a child of the devil, full of hate and selfishness, worried about what she's going to get and whether someone is going to get more than she is of the property. I felt so sorry for her. She couldn't help being that way. She couldn't help having the nature of the devil in her because she was the child of the devil. I didn't say a word to her. I simply said to said to <laughs> the Lord in my heart. Thank you, God. Thank God the greater one is in me. I just acted like the greater one was in me, and he is greater. He is greater than the devil in her. The love of God that is in me is greater than hatred in her. As I said, I felt so sorry for her. Although she was looking down as she grew louder with her ranting and raving and plain old Texas cussing, she suddenly looked up at me I guess such a look of love and compassion must have come over my face. And when she looked up, she just sputtered to a close. Nothing else came out of her mouth. Then she reached up, took a hold of my hand, got down on her knees and cried, my God, put your hands on my head and pray for me. A poor old soul like me needs something. Oh my God, pray for me. Until then, I hadn't said a word. All I had done was act like the Bible was true. 
and it is true, praise God. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. She said, we don't want to be cheated out of anything. But now we don't want your mama to be cheated out of anything either. Okay. Let's see. I think I'm going to stop here. We get the message. Uh, let me end with casting cares on God. In 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, cast all your care upon the Most High God, for he cureth, for he careth for you. Let's look at that in the Amplified Version. In 1 Peter 5, 7, casting the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on God, for he cares for you affectionately, and he cares about you watchfully. Mm, I know T.I. say, if he cares, how can he let these things happen? Sometimes a good God will allow evil on the earth for the benefit of humanity. I have done that. God has my cares. He's figured them all out, and he's working on them, and I'm shouting while he's doing it. God is doing the work, and I am doing the shouting. Praise the Lord. You see, if you're lying awake at night trying to figure out the situation for God, trying to work out how he can solve your problems, then he doesn't have your burdens. You still have them. The faith life is the most beautiful life in the world, and it is the life of life God wants us to live. The just shall live by faith, Romans 1.17. And the walk God wants us to walk is the faith walk. For we walk by faith, not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. It's those who act upon God's word who get results. You act faith. You talk faith. Your actions and your words must agree that you're a believer. It will not do you any good to talk faith if you're not going to act faith. And if it was somehow possible for you to act faith without talking faith, that would not do you any good either. Let's both. Let both of your words and your actions agree. Some people will say one moment, I'm trusting God to meet my needs. But with the very next breath, they say, well, it looks like I'm going to lose my car. I can't make my payments. One minute, it sounds like they're talking faith. But within a short time, their actions prove they're not. Some will even quote God's word and say, I know the Lord said in Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I'm trusting the Lord to meet all our needs, but it looks like we will have to have the telephone taken out. We can't pay the bill. <laughs> you see, it sounded in the beginning as if they were talking faith. They even quoted scripture, but this was not really faith speaking. Really, they just mentally agreed that this verse is in the Bible. They mentally agreed to the truth, but they didn't act as if it were so. In order to get results, you must start acting like God's word is true. Jeremiah 1.12 says, I will hasten my word to perform it. The margin of my King James translation says, I will watch over my word to perform in it. Well, you may be certain that if you accept God's word and you act on it, he is watching over that word to make it good in your life. Acting on the word. All you need to do is act on the word. 
It's deeply important that you learn this simple little lesson because it's not struggling, it's not crying, it's not fretting, it's acting on what God has spoken that brings results. More than 40 years ago, I was holding a meeting in a full gospel church in West Texas. I didn't know as much as I know now, but on the other hand, I know more than when I was acting on this particular instance. If you're associated with people who are full of doubt and unbelief, it's easy for some of it to rub off on you. But if you're not careful, you will unconsciously pick up some of their statements and attitudes. The pastor of this full gospel church knocked on my bedroom door one morning and handed me an airmail special delivery letter, which my wife had mailed the night before. My wife wrote me that both of our children, that both of our children were sick. She had been up with them day and night for several days and she was worn out and desperate. Then too, we were in desperate financial straits. <clears throat> it just so happened that the day I received the letter from my wife was the regular visitation day for the pastor of the church where I was preaching. The pastor and his wife would be spending the entire day visiting different members of the congregation. This meant I would have the whole day to myself. After they left, I got my Bible and the letter went over to them and later went over to them. I knelt down before the altar, opened up that letter and read it to the Lord, struggling in prayer. Now, Lord, I said, my babies are sick. My poor dear little wife has been up with them day and night until she's worn out physically. She needs help and rest. And we are in dire need financially. Now I've come out here and I'm gonna stay out here all day if necessary. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm gonna pray. I told God until I pray through and those babies are healed and those financial needs are met. Well, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed, but it seemed as if the longer I prayed, the further away from the answer I got and the worse I felt. I prayed around the altar on my knees. I prayed walking up and down the aisles of the church. I spent about an hour and a half praying, walking, beating the altar, kicking my feet, doing everything else I had ever seen full gospel people do. I thought, well, if it worked for them, it'll work for me. But the only results after an hour and a half were that I had used up so much physical energy, I had pretty well worn myself out. I decided to give up as a bad job and went back to the personage for a drink of water. But as I sat there and thought about my family, I said, well, bless God. I'm not going to be so easily defeated. I got up and went back to the church, kneeling before the altar again. I opened that letter. I read it to the Lord and said, now, Lord, I'm determined this time to stay here all day if necessary. I'm going to stay here until I pray through, until I know those children are healed and the financial needs are met. So I went at it again. Excuse me. <clears throat> so I went at it again. And after another hour and a half, I had worn myself out again. Then the third time, I went through the entire process again. Finally, after four hours, I laid down on the wide altar, exhausted. My hands were folded beneath my head and I was staring at the ceiling, but I had gotten quiet, hearing from God. In the Old Testament, there's a scripture that says, be still and know that I'm God, Psalms 46, 10. 
many times we cannot hear my eyes are a little blurring almost finished one second many times and many times we cannot hear what God is trying to say to us on the inside because we don't get quiet before him. You can be as noisy with your mind as you can be with your hands and feet. It's pretty easy to quiet your body down to be still, but it's sometimes difficult to keep your mind from thinking. Have you ever had head trouble? Head trouble is when you have been able to quiet your body, but the mind, but your mind just keeps on going. Sometimes when you get down to pray, that happens. Lying there on the altar, I was finally quiet. My body was quiet. My mind was quiet. I am convinced that the spirit of God had been trying to arrest my attention all that time to get something over to me. But for almost four hours, I had been making so much noise. I couldn't hear God. Some people never do hear God because they are too busy with their own thoughts and their own physical efforts. When I did get quiet inside me, I heard these words. What are you doing out here acting like this? I realized it was the still small voice of the Holy Spirit speaking plainly to me. I felt insulted. Rising up to a seated position, I grabbed that letter and began to wave it and to say, now, Lord, I've read this letter to you three times. Don't you understand my babies are sick and my dear little wife has been up with them day and night for two or three days. She's worn to a frazzle. We're in dire need financially. And you ask me why I'm out here acting like this? I thought that I got it told. But it didn't. I laid back down on the altar, thinking that should settle it. And I got quiet again. Then on the inside of me, I heard, what are you doing out here acting like this? I rose up again, grabbed the letter and said, Lord, I've already told you. I read the letter to you three times. You told me what it said and told and told you what it said. <clears throat> I'm not going to read it anymore. Don't you understand? My babies are sick. My wife is tired. She's there by herself. She's been up day and night caring for them. She's worn out. We're in dire financial need. And you ask, what am I doing out here? I thought, surely. I thought, surely. That should be enough for him to understand. And I lay back down on the altar and got quiet again. Then the third time on the inside of me, I heard these words, what are you doing out here acting like this? This time I got up off the altar and I stood by it, waving the letter before him. Lord, I've read you this letter three times. This is the third time I will have told you what it says. Don't you understand? My babies are sick and my dear little wife is at home with them by herself. She's been up with them day and night until she's worn herself out. 
we have financial needs, and then I stopped. When I did, inside of me, I heard these words. Well, what did you come out here for? What's praying through? Lord, I came here to pray through. What do you mean by pray through? Well, I said, um, well, um, as I begin to think about it, I realized I didn't know what I meant. So I said, whatever it is those full gospel people mean by it, that's what I've come out here to do, pray through. I've heard them say, pray through. As I thought about it, I said to him, now I guess what I thought was that I was going to pray until I had some kind of feeling or witness or something like that. You see, I'm 365 miles away from home, and I'd like to have some kind of witness or something, some kind of feeling that this prayer is being answered. I don't know what I meant, but I think that I thought. I would know in some way or another when this prayer was answered. When the children were healed, when our needs were met, he said, isn't my word sufficient for you? Yes, Lord. You know there isn't anyone in the whole state of Texas who believes your word more than I do. There isn't anyone in the United States. There isn't anyone in the world who believes your word any more than I do. You know, I have always been a stickler for your word. Well, he said, you're not acting like my word is so. In fact, you're acting as though my word were not so. You're acting like you have to talk me into the idea of doing what I said I would do in my word. You are acting though as though you think if you pray long enough and loud enough, you might eventually talk me into the notion of not being a liar and keeping my word. <laughs> His word is sufficient. And then I saw it. I cried, dear God, forgive me. I've been running with unbelieving Christians so long it rubbed off on me. I picked up some of their habits and some of their speech. Forgive me, God. No, I don't need to pray through. I don't need to have any kind of feeling. I don't need any kind of witness. Your word is sufficient for me. That's all I need, just your word. Then he spoke to me on the inside. Doesn't my word say, I took your children's infirmities and I bear their sicknesses? I knew he was quoting Matthew 8, 17 to me, which says, himself took our infirmities and bear our sicknesses. And you see, if he took our infirmities and bear our sicknesses, then health and healing belong to us, to our children too. So he put it that way. Doesn't my word say that I took your children's infirmities and I bear their sicknesses? It surely does, I said. Isn't that all the evidence you need, he asked. It surely is. That's all I need. I want to thank you right now, God, for answering my prayer. We have to act on God's word. We have to know our scriptures. Mm. Again. Matthew 8, 17 says himself, he took our infirmities and he bared our sicknesses. Mm. We have to act on the word. As soon as I said that, I was acting on God's word. Even though I was praying before, I wasn't acting on God's word. I was in unbelief. It's not struggling, laboring, and trying to believe that brings results. It's acting on God's word that brings results. I said to him, your word is all the evidence I need, Lord. I want to thank you right now 
because my babies are both well by your word. They are healed. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Immediately something said to my mind, I recognize it to be the devil. Now, how can you tell whether or not they are well when you're 365 miles away? I said, because the word of God says himself, he took my children's infirmities and he bared them their sicknesses. <clears throat> Excuse me. Therefore, my children are well. Then I asked the Lord about our financial need. He said, didn't I say in Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You said it, Lord, I replied, and your word is all the evidence I need. Thank you for it, God. Thank you for our needs are met. Praise God. Hallelujah. The burden lifts. The burden lifts. And we'll stop here. The burden was gone. I picked up my Bible. I picked up the letter and I went out the door whistling and singing. Thank you, Lord. I tell you, the grass was greener. The flowers were prettier. <coughs> Excuse me. The sun was brighter and everything was lovely. The next morning, another airmail special delivery letter arrived from my wife. Everything is fine, she wrote. She was feeling well and strengthened. Then she told me that the previous morning, both of the children, just as if you had snapped your fingers, went instantly well. Both of them instantly. The sicknesses didn't gradually go away as sometimes happens. They were instantly well. Glory to God. And the finances had been met too, praise the Lord. Too often, we want to put ourselves into the battle rather than letting God fight for us. We want to help him. We want to figure out how God can fight our battle. We keep struggling and struggling and struggling. And the job never gets done because we won't turn it over to him. God would fight every battle for us if we let him. God, I thank you for the reading of the scriptures and the word. I thank you, God, for the for a better understanding on how to fight the good fight of faith, standing on God's word, acting on God's word, not just standing, acting, remembering God's word. Those who are sick, stand on Matthew 8, 17. God took our infirmities and he bore our sicknesses. God is a provider. He's a healer. He's a counselor. He's fought this spiritual battle. And I thank you, Heavenly Father, for the TI community that has been made to live a life of faith. They have to walk by faith. And if God carried you this far, he will not drop you now. Give you all the praise, Heavenly Father. I give you all the glory. I thank you. I honor you. I worship you and I magnify your name. And I ask you to bless each and every person out here, particularly the TIs. Let them walk the good walk of faith, the good fight. Win, become victorious in the fight of faith. Punch the devil in the eye. Read your Bible. Quote God's word. God's word tells us. He's a counselor. He's a healer. He's a financer. 
I ask God to direct our steps, guide us, lead us. We give you praise and we thank you, God, for all you've done and all you're going to do. In Jesus' name, be blessed. And that's the reading for the night. Good night.